uh, Robin was playing for us the old rugged cross during communion. And uh, typically when the hymns are going, it's hard not to have those words uh, of the hymn in your mind and heart. And I reflected on and exchange it someday for a crown. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged, old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Uh, there's, a, there's a passage in our text this morning that I've been hung up on and I haven't really understood it. And it was the old rugged cross that uh, helped it make sense. And so, remind me, when we get to verse 4 and 5, about the old rugged cross, so I don't forget to make uh, the connection, all right? You you guys are going to be responsible for that. Uh, I imagine, in uh, our congregation this morning, we could probably tell the creation story. I'm confident we would get all of the days mixed up, like what God did on each day. But we know how many days it was, right? It was six days, and on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested, all right? We know uh, fairly well the creation account. We could probably describe uh, the garden, the Garden of Eden. Uh, we We can articulate who was there, Adam and Eve. And we can talk about, uh, there's two trees, right? We have the tree of the knowledge of, I think it's the uh, dividers going on. All right. We uh, talked about the great earthquake of 2010 in Indiana uh, and surviving that. And, uh, you know, anyways, I'm completely distracted now. All right. So we're talking about the Garden of Eden. I think we can we can frame the first couple of chapters, if not the third chapter of Genesis. It's a familiar uh, story uh, of our culture, and we understand it. Uh, The Bible is actually book-ended. We have the opening chapter of Genesis and the closing chapter, Revelation 22. And I know what you're already thinking of. Didn't we just start the Revelation series? Why are we talking about 22? Well, I thought we would start at the very end, uh, and then we'll jump at the beginning. But I think that there's so much to glean from the last chapter. Uh, But really, it is bookended by two accounts of creation. There's the first creation and then what God is working towards and what God is one day going to do, and it's the new creation. And so here's my challenging thought. As Christians, are we more articulate, and can we spend more time, and do we know more about the first creation than we do about what God is doing in new creation? Put another way, can we tell people about what heaven really is and what God's truly going to do Are we more articulate of that, or are we more conversant with Genesis 1, 2, and 3? And my suspicion is is that we are much more comfortable talking about Genesis because there's this sort of tangible things in place, and we can understand the story, and we can imagine a garden. What we might have a difficult time is articulating and understanding the picture that's painted for us in Revelation 21 and 22. Now, for us, I want to spend time in Revelation 22. 
uh, because I think it's just another picture from Revelation 21 about what this new creation and new life and what heaven will be like for us. There's plenty, and I think part of the issue is, not like there's not this with Genesis 1 through 3, is there are a lot of uh, extra biblical literature about what heaven will be like. Uh, we can, you know, we can go to uh, uh, Barnes and Noble if they're still open, uh, and we can go to the front. Uh, we can go to the front desk of the religious area, and we can find uh, anywhere from someone who's died and gone to heaven, and we can, we can, uh, and they've come back, and they've say they've spent seven minutes there. How they calculated it, I don't know, but. Uh, uh, that they've been there and they can come back. And so we, we think that they have the description of what this is going to be like. Or we trust that this little boy, uh, heaven is for real, that he knows what he's talking about. Well, he came out like a, it was like a total fraud. I don't, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but like it came out that that was all made up. Um, sorry, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. This is the pulpit. It's supposed to be all good news up here, right? Uh, but we have these sort of heaven tourism books. What are they going to be like? And it becomes this description. Uh, friends, we have, uh, we have a picture that's given us in Scripture. And what I see happening is John taking the first creation account and helping us see how beautiful and wonderful this new creation will be. Just what will this new Eden be like? What will heaven be like? And friends, it looks so much like the first parts of the Bible. It describes it, and it's a city, though. It's not a garden, but it's a a garden within a city. And so let's look at the text, and let's see just what our lives will be like in Jesus Christ. In Revelation 22, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the great street of the city. We learn in Revelation 21 that there's a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth, they pass away. There's no longer any sea. And the holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out, from, out of heaven and is prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The picture of new creation is God among his people, and this city that's restored and made new. The angel showed me the river of water of life that flows through it as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The one who reigns in new creation is God and Jesus Christ. And right down the middle of the street is this crystal clear flowing of the river of life, water of life. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. How this happens, I don't know, but it seems the stream, it's right next to the stream, and it's continuously fed with water. It's like Psalm 1, the tree that's planted next to uh, a stream continuously bearing fruit. And it's this picture of the fruit. It bears fruit, 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Life flows in this place, and there is peace and God reigns in the midst of it. 
And it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. They will, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp and the light of the sun, for the, light, uh, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. What happens in Genesis 1 through 3? We get the garden, we get the tree of life, we get the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We get that there's Adam and Eve, we get that there's all of creation, all of the animals, all of the sea, all of the rivers, all of the plants, everything. We get all of it. And we also get sin. And when we get sin, we get death and we get curses. It's the curses in Genesis 3 that become all too painful reminders of the suffering and the sadness and the heartache that we face in our world. It's because of sin that there, there are, there's war. It's because of sin that there's death. It's because of sin that there is the suffering and sadness and brokenness and heartache. Everything we face. You know, I think, I think I can speak for all of us that it's harder getting older uh, just this morning, I have like a kink in my shoulder, and it's like, and I'm told it just keeps getting progressively worse, guys. You younger than me, you're, wait till you hit 30. Everybody always said that, right? And then you hit 30, and you're like, oh, that's what they're talking about. And it's like that morning too, your birthday. Just watch out. I'm warning you. Enjoy life now. But that's the sort of deterioration, the falling apart, the falling apart of our world. In the rest of the story of Genesis, we get the sin in Genesis 3. And then chapters 4 through 11, God starts sort of working with this creation that has a uh, sort of bent on evil. And we see in a world where evil just sort of runs amok and there's no checks and balances, a world gets so evil and so destructive and so impossible to live in god says we have to hit the reset button and he and we know the story of uh moses and the ark right i'm just making sure you guys are all paying attention i know my bible noah noah and the ark just say wake up here guys it's like the the old riddle that's where i got to you know how many how many animals did moses put on the ark that's how you trip people up you know if you're ever looking for a good bible joke that's the one guys i promise you I mean, run with it. But anyways, what am I talking about? Oh, so God is trying to create checks and balances and keep in check the evil and sin and destructiveness of the world. And one of the things that God does is he creates nations. The Tower of Babel is this moment where everybody's there building this great big huge temp, uh, this great big huge building to reach the heavens and reach the gods, and they're bragging about, look at what we can all do, uh, and, and what God then looks at is like, whoa, 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 we need to keep this in check. And so God disperses them, and he confuses their language, and when God confuses their language, he creates nations. And so from then on, and he limits the lifespan of people, and this is an important reminder of God limits the lifespan of people, so he limits the lifespan of powerful, evil people. Imagine a world 
where Hitler lives to be 900 years old. That's the that's a worst you know that's like the worst idea ever. And God limits the life so that any one powerful person doesn't reign for an incredible length of time. Imagine the horror and um, suffering that would come at that. And so God he creates nations to keep the balance of power in check, so that not any one particular nation would uh, always be more powerful than the next, but they're always there. And so what I see in Revelation 22 is God reversing things, restoring and making new. It says in our text that God, uh, God, there will no longer, in verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. There can be a healing of nations from the leaves of this tree and no longer will there be any curse. We need to start seeing the picture of what God is doing throughout all of Scripture and that is God is leading the way to redeem and restore what was lost. God is leading a, a, leading a rescue mission to save His creation, save all of us and make His home here with us. All that was lost, the peace, the love, the sort of harmony of, of, uh, harmony of creation, all that was lost in the garden, God is seeking to restore. You know, when God created Adam and Eve and all of the animals, He gave them an instruction. This was just a pop quiz. What did God tell them to do? One was, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But what did He say to do? Sam? You can eat whatever else you want. That's not where I was going, but I appreciate the reminder that we can eat whatever we want, guys. What do you tell us to do? Be, be fruitful and multiply. The best instruction in all of Scripture. That's how I feel. Uh, but, uh, but there was something missing in God's creation. It wasn't totally perfect. Thank you for laughing at my wildly inappropriate comment. Just making sure we're all alive here, you know. Guys, the be fruitful and multiply is a is not a rem, like I, when I first wrote it down. I wanted to say that the garden was incomplete, and I don't know that the right word is incomplete there, but it wasn't it wasn't done yet. What creation was was originally formed to do was to flourish and grow. When God says, be fruitful and multiply, he was, he was encouraging, hey, I've set it in place, and I've created it, and it's very good. And now, friends, let's grow and flourish in this creation and make it beautiful and good. And sin just sort of obliterates that, and what ends up happening is not the flourishing of good, but the flourishing of evil. And what God is restoring is this opportunity for creation to once again flourish in the way that God has always longed it to be. Where nations aren't fighting with another, one another, but they are bringing with them into the gates of new creation all glory, praise, and honor that's due Jesus Christ. What happens in this new creation is the uh, wiping out of the curse, wiping out of evil. And friends, what is left is a human race, is a city of people. 
who want to glorify and praise God. It's a creation that can once again flourish and be good. Friends, this is as good as it gets. And you guys are kind of looking at me like, Jordan, it's time to move on. But I want you to, I want you to grasp how good and wonderful this will be. A place that's not filled with death and suffering and hurt. A place that's filled with the presence of God and His love. Imagine a tree that bears fruit all 12 months out of the year. Imagine a river that is flowing in peaceful and crystal clear. It's big enough to hold all of us and maybe a couple more people who have all the right doctrine like us. But uh, this place will be good and wonderful and you will call it home. God is working to bring this about. And it, our text transitions then. We'll look at... Oh, I need to make the connection to verse 5. The old rugged cross says that we will at last lay down our crowns and we will... Or we'll lay down our crosses and we'll take up the crown. I've always thought that's a weird thing to say. That we would take up our crowns But if we look at verse 5, there will be no more night. There will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. and They will reign forever and ever. I don't know that when I hear the word reign, that me reigning over anything seems like a very good idea. But God is giving us the reward of not giving up and not giving in. If I could summarize the book uh, of Revelation and just like what's the one sort of takeaway, it's kind of two things. Don't give up. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on what He's doing. Don't give up on His Lordship. Don't give up on your faith. And don't give in to the world. Don't give in to its pressures. Don't give in to its assimilating you into its culture and practices and its evil and corruption. Don't give up on Jesus and don't give in to the world. And what the reward is, is this life of peace and a place where you have life, where you get to sort of reign free and be a part of the kingdom of Christ. One day we will at last lay down the suffering. We will at last lay down all of our crosses. And Christ will give us a crown in which we get to live in heaven. A new heaven and a new earth where there's no curse, where there's no need for the sun. For God is there and he shines ever so brightly. We won't need the sun anymore. We'll have the light of God. Now I have to hurry. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon, and blessed is the one who keeps the words of prophecy written in this scroll. 
I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. A distinguishing mark of a Christian is simply this, that we are fellow servants who share the good news and we worship God. John, after seeing all all that has transpired, he falls down and he begins worshiping the angel. Who's ever accidentally worshipped the wrong thing? We get a little excited about our sporting events. We like to worship those things. I know I do. I got to say, I probably would have fallen in lockstep with John. I would have fallen flat on my face and I would have begun worshiping uh, worshiping what the angel just told me. And it's the reminder. And this phrase will echo throughout our reading of Revelation. We are the people who worship God. We worship Him and Him only. And Revelation is written in the context of a people who are wrestling with, can we worship a little bit of the world and still worship God? And it comes back to that message of, this is one of the things that we don't give in on. Yeah, it's okay, everybody else is doing it. The message is, don't give up on Christ and His Lordship. And don't give in to a world that would steal away the worship that's uh, all due Christ. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. That's a weird thing to say. Verse 11, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. My mom had a way of uh, correcting my behavior. And one of the things was, you just go right on ahead and you just keep doing what you're doing. And I knew that that was not continue doing what I was supposed to be doing. That if I were to continue down that road, there would be no cookies later. That there would be severe punishments. uh, Or, uh, you know, I was only spanked twice, so it always worked. Um, uh, mouth out, uh, mouth wash out with soap. Now that's another story, but uh, uh, I don't forget what I'm saying. Oh, I don't think that this is an instruction as to say, let's just let people go on doing what they're doing. Instead, I think we need to get a picture of the rebuke. It says, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. And you can keep going and doing what you're doing. And I will give to each person according to what they've done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. You want to have life around that tree? Blessed are those who wash their robes, who give themselves to Christ, who devote themselves to Him. 
that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go out through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts and sexual immoral, uh, and the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong, and they won't have the tree of life. They won't have life with God. And it sounds just like my mama says, go ahead and go on doing what you're doing, and you will reap what you sow. But if you will give your life to Christ, the free gift of God that is for all of us, you will have life. You will have the tree of life. You will have hope. You will have salvation. You will have life in Christ. And so the Spirit and the Bride, which is the way of saying the church, the Spirit and the Bride, they say, come. And the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, let them all come. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll, if any of them adds anything to them, God will add to the person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of the prophecy, God will take away from the person any share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this scroll. I'm going to make sure we cover every word. I mean, I'm not going to miss any of them, right? I mean, that's a Bible joke, guys. Come on. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Our Lord says, Yes, I am coming soon. And friends, we can get caught up in an awful lot of things what Christians should be doing. There are sort of two popular responses to heaven, two uh, popular responses to Revelation. I'm going to offer the response and then we'll wrap it up. The first response is to look at the story of, of new creation and this new heaven that's coming. We read that there's a new heaven and a new earth and the old thing's going to be done away with. And so one response is to say, I don't want anything to do with this earth. And it becomes this escape. It becomes a way of saying, I don't need to engage in this world because God's just going to wipe it all out anyway. And so we can swing to this pendulum way far on this end and just think we don't need to engage in culture. We don't need to engage the world with Christ. That it's just sort of, I have the good news and I don't need to worry about it. The pendulum swings the complete opposite way and people will read that God is making a new heaven and a new earth and they will read that and they will see that and they will say, well, God must want me to do all of the work. It's up to me. It's my response. It's my work to bring this new heaven and new earth into place. And i got to shoulder all of that responsibility. I would simply ask that we swing it 
into the middle. And here's what I think the church does. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We are witnesses. We are witnesses that Jesus' love transforms us. Is your life the same today? Or is it completely transformed and different because of the saving, redeeming love of Jesus Christ? Are you different because Christ has saved and redeemed you? And friends, that gives us something to say and something to anticipate, something to tell others about. And so we stand in this world anticipating a new world, a new heaven and a new earth, and we stand and we sort of toe this line between one world and the next, and we say, Spirit, Lord, Jesus, come. Come and make all things new. When we are faced with tragedy, I'm reminded uh, of the tragedy that just happened right down the road with us and the loss of children's lives. And I... And I want to say that my first response wasn't anger and frustration. But it took, a, it took a second to kick in. When we say, come Lord Jesus, come, we're asking for tragedies like that to never happen again. Why do I love heaven? Why do I love the picture of this new creation? because of hope we are a people who in this world know that there will be heartache and suffering but we are also a people who don't give up and don't give in we don't give up on the one who's restoring and making all things new and we don't give in to a world that just says it's all going to hell in a handbasket we join the fight in the service of our King. And we stand and we toe the line and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And would you come into lives of brokenness and sin and sorrow and would you bring your presence and your love and your spirit and would you bring peace and love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. Would you come, Lord Jesus, and so my simple and important challenge to you is to be a people who continuously and always say, Jesus, would you please come? He says he is coming soon. Let's trust him at his word. Let's trust that he will not escape this world and not feel like it all resides on our shoulders. But let's toe the line between that says Jesus is coming soon and he's making all things new. I'm trusting in him. I want to walk with him. There is a free gift the last chapter of Scripture says there is a free gift of life for you. If you haven't embraced that gift, if you haven't come to Christ, what are you waiting for?
for the Lord is coming soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. God, there's a lot to take in, a lot to understand from your word. Simply we ask, God, that we would be able to articulate not simply Genesis 1 through 3, but also Revelation 21 and 22, that we can communicate clearly the hope that we profess, a hope of a resurrected life made new in your Son, Jesus. God, that we can declare with our hearts and our lives and our actions and our words and our families and as a church clearly that Jesus is our Lord and our King. We trust Him as the resurrected Lord and Savior who's coming again. Impress Your Word upon our hearts that out of the overflow of our hearts our our mouths would speak of Your goodness and Your glory and of all the praise that You're due. Transform us, Lord, through Your Spirit into the image of your Son, the firstborn of a new creation. God, as we submit our lives to you, renew us and give us courage and strength to not give in and to not give up. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May God bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.